Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good to be in God's house with God's people always. Amen. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online this morning. Um, The other day, my daughter kind of yelled at me, and she said, Dad, you haven't listened to a word I've said, have you? And I kind of thought to myself, what an odd way to start a conversation. (laughs) You'll get it at some point. I'm just kidding. My daughter doesn't yell, but I do tend to phase out from time to time, especially if she goes into stories of the books that she's reading. But speaking of focus, today we're going to continue in our series that uh, we're calling Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family. Now, why are we focusing on the family? Because we're seeing in our world and in our culture where the values and the morals of the traditional families are being, I would say, eroded or at least blurred if not try to be wiped out altogether. And the enemy, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is targeting our children at a younger and younger age. That's that's what I'm calling the Disney debacle that's going on in the system today where where we have Disney and and some of the people in 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 the school system who think it's a good idea to teach kindergarten through third grade sexual orientation and gender uh, transitioning information, in my opinion, just to confuse the kids. And in fact, if you haven't been paying attention, Disney and their CEO has gone on, gone live with their intent over the next uh, few whenever to include feature homosexual, their words, and LGBTQRST, I don't know what it all means, content in their material. And so they are bound to put it in the stuff that they're putting it out now. Now, Disney historically targets what population? Children. children. And so why would they be putting all this stuff <laughs> focusing on children? In my opinion, they put it under the guise of family and being inclusive, but it sounds like grooming to me. And so if you haven't started monitoring your children's content and kind of nailing down what's going on in your public schools and what they're teaching your children, you really ought to start because it's going on all around us. As we learned last week, too many parents are what they call, what I call, AWOL. AWOL is a military term that stands for absent without leave. And it relates, as it relates to what's happening in the schools and what's going on, even with what's taking place with babysitting now, now we hand our children these tablets that hook up to all sorts of material that maybe you're monitoring and maybe you're not. We ought to start monitoring it. Now, the Bible makes it abundantly clear whose role it is to teach and raise our children. Let's remind ourselves what the Scripture says in Proverbs 22.6. It says, teach your children to choose the right path And when they are older, they will remain on it. Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain on it. So specifically, when it says the right path, it is talking about moral training, 
moral training. Let, let the schools teach reading, writing, arithmetic, history, if you will. But when it comes down to what is right and what is wrong, it is the parents' responsibility. Can, can I get an amen out there? Any of you guys out there? As we learned last week, family wasn't just a good idea. It was a God idea. And as such, he has a lot to say about what should take place and what makes a family work effectively, especially in this area of parenting. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a part to, 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 to participate in, and your part matters. My part matters. Moms, dads, grandparents, your parts matter. And so the subtitle of this morning's message is the parental role. The parental role. Last week we talked about roll call. Well, this week with, uh, with the general orders, this week we're going to specific orders with the parental role. What is it and what are we supposed to focus on as a family? Now, we know that probably one of the most challenging twists and turns to come our way is what happens after marriage. Now, we'll talk about marriage, but today we're talking about what happens after marriage. You remember that old, that old uh, rhyme that we used to sing when we were young? I don't know if the new generation does, but when you wanted to tease your friends, someone had a, a crush on someone else, and then you start teasing them. Let's just say, let's just say Bill and Teresa. Bill and Teresa were sitting in a tree. Come on, somebody. K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby. So you've heard it. And now today, that's all flipped backwards. But we're, that's a different message. But once the babies start coming, then the fun really begins. And there are those who say, as they're trying to raise their kids, they would say, I wish there was a manual for raising kids. And whenever they tell me that, I always, I always like to suggest to them that there is. Amen? Amen. It's called the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. And God expects us to use his word, to use his word to raise our children and our grandchildren in the way they should go. Not confuse them, not deceive them, not abuse them, but to point them in a right direction. It's your job. It's your job. It's my job to point our children in the right direction. Now, the woke geniuses, I call them of today, are advocating the transitioning. And when I mean transitioning, I'm talking about their gender from, from male to female. If they feel like a female, then they must be a female if they're male. And they are, they are advocating the transitioning of youth and children from as young as six from their biological genders. In spite of the data that indicate, listen to this, 82% of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves. And 40% have attempted it with the highest numbers among the youth. Of that group, 56% reported a previous suicide attempt, and 86% attempt attempt, uh, admit to suicidal ideation. They're being told that this is the end-all or be-all to their problems of, uh, of, of having this, this gender I- issue going on, 
and all you have to do is slice and dice, and after they slice and dice, they're becoming suicidal because it's not answering their problems. Now, I'm a live and let live sort of guy. If you become an adult, when you become an adult, and you choose to put on makeup and mutilate yourself as a dude, so be it. As long as it's on your dime, and I don't have to pay for it, and the taxpayers don't have to pay for it. But when you start targeting children, that's abuse. How many children do you know who start out, particularly the girls, and they start out right around 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, and they're, they're competing with the dudes, right? They're, they're playing basketball, they're playing football, they're playing soccer. They call them tomboys, right? And then once they hit a certain age, you'll be like, wow, what happened to so-and-so? She's gorgeous. Because she goes through that phase where, okay, I'm over with that. Now I'm going to do what I'm going to do. In their world, they're going to start talking to them at that age and saying, because you do these things, you might consider the fact that you might be a man inside of a girl's body or vice versa for confusion. Folks, that is abuse. And if parents allow that to take place, you are AWOL, absent without leave. And so last week we talked about five general orders that apply to everyone. Now we're going into the specific or the special orders concerning the roles that we're going to be playing. Next week is a natural role, the mother's role. Don't miss next week. But we're talking about the parents' role, six special orders. I want you to follow along with me this morning. Malachi 2.15 says this in the New Living. It says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. Who's his? Who are we talking about? God's. You are God's. It reminded me of the story in the Bible when they were trying to trick, trick Jesus into saying something that would get him in trouble. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, without even a second thought, said, give me a coin. And he pulled out the coin and in it, he held it up and says, whose image is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's image. Then he says, render to Caesar or give back to Caesar that which belongs to him. But he didn't end it there. He said, but give back to God that which belongs to him. Now, folks, the coin and the image may belong to Caesar. He gave it to you to, to lend it to you. Give it back to him. But we were made in the image and the likeness of our Father. Amen? Our Heavenly Father. And God is saying, you belong to him, and he wants you back. Come on, somebody. So it says, in body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Say it out loud with me. Go. Godly children from your union. Godly children from your union. So guard yourself, remain loyal to the wife of your and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Now from this we come up with two of the six special orders. I want you to write this down. Number 1, be intentional. Be intentional and you write somewhere in raising godly children. Be intentional in raising godly children. 
How many know that the children that God gives us are on loan from him? Amen? Amen. He entrusts them to us. And the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord, but it doesn't mean that they're easy to raise. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Right? I used to tell myself when I was raising my four kids all the time, they're a blessing, they're a blessing, they're a blessing from you, Lord. Convincing myself. But as difficult as it can be, how many know that that's part of the mission and the mandate while we're here on this earth? Now, let me give you a little secret. In heaven, notwithstanding what other religions have taught, (laughs) the Bible says we are not married or giving into marriage in heaven. And so when we get there, we're going to take on a new role And exactly what it will be remains to be seen. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store. It's going to be better than whatever system we have down here. But while we're here on this earth, the mission and the mandate is to raise godly children. And God expects the church, the church, to come alongside people who are raising their children. When I do baby dedications, that's one of the things I do. I I bring the family up. I challenge the parents, the entire family of brothers, sisters, grandparents, friends, family, and then I turn to the church. And I say, listen, uh, it is our responsibility, your responsibility, to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Titus 2, 4 and 5 says this. These older women, speaking about in the church, must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to take care of their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will, bring, they will not bring shame on the word of God. Now again, write down the word train somewhere. It's a verb. It means to learn the skills necessary to do a job or to teach somebody especially through practical experience. It's the same word we saw in Proverbs 22, where it says to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. The 22 verse 6 in New Living says it this way, teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they they will remain upon it. Now, teach means don't leave them to teach themselves. And certainly don't leave it for the state to do it or for someone else to do it. Again, it's your job it's my, and it's my job. And the younger you start teaching them the, in the way they should go, the better off you'll be. I often have people who come to me and say, Pastor Rick, I'm having issues with my children, and they're now 15 and 16, and, and now they want to try to start putting rules and regulations on the kids. And my, my, my thing is to them, I mean, Listen, it's better late than never. By the time they're 15 and 16 and, and you effectively have done nothing in terms of t- trying to keep them on track, the horse is already out of the barn. Hello? But when you start when they're young and you train them up from when they're young, you'll have a much easier job dealing with them as they grow older than if you only start at 15, 16, 17 years old. Now, again, if I'm training them by example, that means I'm not just sending them to church. I'm bringing them to church. Hello? Yeah. 
Tell somebody, say, wake up. Pay attention. No, no, really, touch somebody. <laughs> it's okay. We got the we got the anti-COVID stuff spraying the outside. You just I'm not just saying it. I, I I'm bringing them. That means I'm not just saying you ought to read the Bible. I'm showing them by example. That means I'm not just saying serving is the right thing to do. I'm actually fulfilling God's plan for my life by, by serving and, and, and showing my family that this is the example that we need to be doing. When my kids were small, we used to go down to Hollywood with uh, Pastor Tom's ministry. It was a homeless ministry. And I'd have them out there weekly. And at some point, we, would, we took over. This is going to be our week. And we would prepare the food. And I'm talking about my kids were, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. We'd prepare the food. We would bag it up. And we'd go down early in the morning on, on Saturdays. And we'd camp out with the ministry. We'd hand out the food. And normally I'd bring out my guitar. And then I would bring a word. And I would emulate that with my children. They saw Deb and I... Um, modeling service from the moment they came out of the womb. They've been seeing this. And three of my kids are still serving in this church today. And they have their own children that they are now emulating and showing this is the way you should go. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. You can't just tell them what to do. You've got to show them what to do. Now, it also means that you need to correct their behavior. When they are doing wrong, Proverbs 23, 13 says, don't hesitate to discipline children. Listen, a good spanking won't kill them. Amen. Amen. As a matter of fact, it says it might save their lives. Now, I know spankings have become countercultural today. I was speaking to a lady on the phone this week, and she was telling me that her son is giving, giving the teachers a hard time. She's constantly being called in. And then, and then I said, well, what do you do? Are you spanking them? He, he tells me that the teacher says, I can't spank, you can't spank me. <laughs> I said, how old is he? He said, four. Four? <laughs> it reminded me of when Brittany was eight years old. And I would, I want the kids to keep their rooms clean. And I'd tell them once, I'd tell them twice, I'd probably tell them a dozen times. And then finally I said, Brittany, if you don't clean your room, you're going to get a spanking. And from the top of the stairs, she called down. She said, Daddy, Nanny 911 says you shouldn't spank your children. <laughs> to which I looked back up to her. From the stairs, and I looked around. And I said, "Do you see 9911 here?" <laughs> she cleaned her room. <laughs> Listen, I'm not talking about abusing your children, but there needs to be a balance. Because we're raising some entitled, undisciplined children today. 
children who are insisting on safe spaces and participation trophies. They want a trophy just to show up. Come on, somebody. When they need a healthy dose of reality when they do wrong. Proverbs 19, 18, the New Century Version says it this way. Correct your children while there is still hope. Do not let them destroy themselves. Proverbs 13, 24. If you do not punish your children, watch this, you don't love them. But if you love your children, you will correct them. See, the world's got this flipped on its head. If you correct your children, you don't love them. And if you don't correct them, you love them. That's the opposite of what the Bible says. It's the opposite. And you know why? Because this is what it says. And everyone's like, well, my, my darling child, my darling child this. Proverbs 22:15 says, every, every child, every child, every child is full of foolishness. But punishment can get rid of it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Be intentional and raise godly children. Now, the second thing in that verse is equally as important. It says, be faithful. And be faithful to who? It says to the wife, to the, to, to the wife of your youth or to each other. Write that down somewhere. It says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard yourself and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Friends, family, fidelity matters. And it's absolutely necessary. Ecclesiastes 4.12, often read at weddings, says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And, but a cord of three strands is not equally broken. And oftentimes when I have people in counseling, I, I would give them this diagram. It's a little triangle. And I say that the husband's on one side, the wife's on the other. And you need God for marriage to work correctly. If you take God out of the picture, you're going to try to be, the wife is going to look to you f- to fulfill her spiritual needs, and you're not God. You can't do it. And the husband's going to look to the wife to fulfill the spiritual needs, and they can't do it. And so you have to have that three-chord strand in order for this marriage to work. And the closer they draw to God, what happens to each other? The closer they get to each other. Amen? Now, in that diagram, keep that up for a second. Where do you suppose the children belong? Someone say right in the middle of that love triangle. Right in the middle of that love triangle. Be faithful to one another. Do not break those marital vows that you have with each other. The damage you do is not just to you, but it's to your family as well. Let me give you the third one. Be patient. Ephesians 6, 4, the message. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Let me say it again. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Exasperate means to make somebody very angry or frustrated, often by repeatedly doing something annoying. We got some annoying people out there. We got annoying dads out there as well who will nudge and nudge and nudge and then set the kids up to get angry. The scripture says 
We shouldn't be doing that to our children. Amen? Amen? Let me give you number four. Be clear and consistent. Be clear and consistent. In other words, say what you mean and mean what you say. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In other words, the making and the breaking of promises, especially to your children, is not helpful. And especially in a divorce situation where the expectation is mom is going to show up or dad is going to show up and you say you're going to be there, you're going to take them to the park, you're going to take them to the movies, you're going to take them, you know, just to hang out, and there's always excuses of you not showing up. That is not helpful. James 5.12 says, but most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned for it. Don't make promises you can't or won't keep. The Bible says your word should be your bond. If you say you're going to be there or do something, you do your best. Barring, you know, an accident or whatever, you do your best to keep your word. That's not just true of your family. That's true of church, too. If you make commitments with the church and you say you're going to do something, do it. Amen? Amen. And you don't need, we don't need, I swear on my mother's grave, or I I promise this, or I don't know. As far as God is concerned, two words you need. Yes or no. That's it. That's all we need, and then stick with what you say. Amen? What's number one? What's number two? What's number three? What's number four? Let me give you number five. Who said that? Who said it? Be calm. That is correct. Write that down. James 119. My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Your anger, my anger, could never make things right in God's sight. My pastor used to say there's a reason why God gave us two ears and just one mouth. It's so that we can be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow again to get angry. Now concerning anger, Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient does what? Calms a quarrel. Proverbs 22 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself, what's the word they use? (coughs) Ensnared. And so my question to you this morning is, what are you teaching your children when you're constantly losing control? When you're constantly flying off the handle? I always like to tell people, be careful of constantly giving people a piece of your mind. You may need that piece one day. But what are we telling them or showing them? The Bible says, instead, we ought to be calm. 
It says even don't even associate with a person who constantly has that click temper, who is constantly getting angry, because you will get yourself into trouble. The prisons are full of people with click tempers. Come on, somebody. And then lastly, as it comes, as it relates to parenting, this is probably one of the most important, is be forgiving. Be forgiving. Ephesians 4.26 says, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. We all have that emotion. But don't use your anger as a fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. And don't go to bed angry. One translation says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil that kind of a foothold in your life. Now, how often does the sun come up and go down? 24-hour cycle. So the Bible says you've got 24 hours <laughs> within that cycle to deal with the anger and get rid of it. For those of you who are holding on to things that were said and done for a week, a month, years, the scripture says you are in danger of giving the devil a foothold. Now, it doesn't say give the devil a wide open door. No one wants to do that. He said, but the only way, the only damage that's required for the enemy to come in, someone say, a foothold. What's a foothold? You ever close the door and have your foot in there? Just that much. That's all it takes. The devil says, ah, that's all I need. And anger or unrestrained anger is one of those ways that allows the devil to come into your life. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, help me somebody, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Is anybody in this room under the sound of my voice, have you always done the right thing? Are there times in your life where you needed forgiveness? Has God, when you brought it to him, forgiven you? How did he forgive you? With conditions? Completely? And without conditions? Folks, we all have a role to play and to model. And they're all important, but this is probably the most important. Stop holding grudges, especially against your family, and forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Luke 6.31 says, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Matthew 7.12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so what you want other people to do to you, you do it to others. The Bible teaches we reap what we sow. And so if I am someone who wants forgiveness, I have to cultivate a lifestyle 
I'm not holding grudges and showing that example to my kids. If I am somebody who wants grace, I am certainly not going to be throwing stones the first time you mess up or, or my kid messes up. There are some people, you know, raising my kids in the church, the, the, the pastor and their wife and their kids are usually in a bubble. Everyone's kind of watching them for mistakes. And my vow has always been to my family, I'm not going to treat my family any different than I treat your family. Amen? If I'm going to give your kids grace, I'm certainly going to give my kids grace. Amen? If your kids are going to come and mess up, I'm not throwing stones at your kids. Jesus didn't throw stones. And then I'm certainly not going to do it to my kids. Many families, the pastor's family, they grow up in the church and the pressure's on them so bad to, 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 to do right, do right, do right, that once they get out of the church, those kids are done with the church because of the pressure that the, that the church and the family has put on them. If you want forgiveness, so forgiveness. If you want grace, so grace. If you want patience, so patience. If you want love, be a loving person. If you want kindness, sow it. You will reap what you sow. And it's in that context that you want to raise those children to know that they can make mistakes and it ain't the end of the world. That mama doesn't hate them and daddy doesn't think they're nothing. In that context, you are now emulating who Jesus is to us. He forgave us completely. He loves us implicitly. And he wants to see us succeed. And he knows that our feet are made of clay. Did you know that? That Jesus knew what he was getting when he got you. <laughs> and he still loves us anyway. But he loves us too much to keep us down there. He is going to model through his scripture, through his Holy Spirit, and through the body of Christ how we should live. Change should be taking place in the context of a loving and forgiving environment. Does that make sense? And so with that, Jesus is our example. And as we come to a close, it's our responsibility as parents to know our role and just to do our part. God is not asking us to do anyone else's part. You're going to hear that all throughout the series. Just do your part. Amen? Amen. And let's make a commitment to do that. Now, if you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, that's the first step. Because I can't change, I can't change myself. You can't change yourself in a way that will last. Only God can change us. Only God can make us into the men and women of God that he wants us to be. So we all need Jesus in our lives. We all need to submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never force his way in on anybody. The scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock the door down. The devil, if you give him a foothold, he's going to knock the door down. Holy Spirit, 
will never knock the door down. To the extent that you invite him in, that's to, the, that's to the extent that he will come in. To the extent that you allow him to work on even the difficult areas of your life, that's the extent that he's going to do it. You, you're going to say, Lord, I need you, I want you, please help me in these areas of my life. If it's patience, he can help you gain, gain patience. If it's an area of forgiveness, he can help you. Help me forgive this, this person. I want to become the man of God that you call me to be, the woman of God that you call me to be, the child of God that you call me to be. And I want to be an accurate reflection of your love and your grace to a world that's completely losing their minds, but especially to my family, my husband, my wife, my children, my mom, and my dad. Does that make sense? So if you're here today, if you've not yet done that, It'd be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer. If you're listening online, let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my need for a Savior. Forgive me for all the areas in my life where I've messed up. And while you're saying that, if the Holy Spirit's bringing something specific to your mind that's specific to you, in your heart, you make an altar to him and you confess that to him. I've, I've said some rotten things to my wife. I, I've done some inappropriate things with my, with, said some things with my husband. You confess your sins. He says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But it starts with you getting real with him. Not playing church. Let him be the church in your life. Let him change you from the inside. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this day forward, Lord, I commit and I recommit my life to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all say, amen and amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast, if you haven't already, and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.